at the end of the service. There's a neat little pen that the fathers will get to receive. And um, uh, as you walk out, you'll get to receive that. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Here we are already in chapter 22. We are gaining steam. We're going to be done pretty soon, aren't we, Uh, with Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The word of God says in verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slave to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened uh, livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the uh, wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One of his own, uh, one to his own farm, another to his uh, business, and the rest seized the slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies to destroy those murderers and set uh, their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways and As many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come here, come in here without wedding clothes. And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for all the blessings we've had this morning with um, the family dedication and the kids from VBS and the workers singing. I pray now that um, this passage, your word, would work in our lives, that your spirit would take the, this passage and we will meditate on it and uh, that it would transform us. Father, we know it's your will that we become more like Christ and less like ourselves. And I pray that that end will happen in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you uh, ever been invited to somewhere and you just didn't know exactly how to act in that situation? Uh, I remember as a young kid, uh, my parents were missionaries in Venezuela and someone from the church had passed away and the service was done at kind of a a funeral home and the way it it was was the funeral home kind of was circular and they had these small like little chapel areas and uh, it was customary for people to come and, 
and uh, there would be some type of food. People would bring food, uh, soft drinks, coffee, uh, some type of snacks as they were there at the, at the funeral home. And uh, I was there with uh, our friends from the church, and in our little chapel area, kind of uh, ran out of food. And uh, there was uh, three other funerals happening around the, the place. And so uh, we decided that uh, we would go and see the body and then walk out and grab some food and, and then go eat. I'm not sure it was the most appropriate thing to do uh, in that situation. There we were in a place and we weren't acting correctly. We, we weren't acting how we should have been, but we did get full. Uh, I remember when we were missionaries, my wife and I, we, we were going to uh, different churches and there was a, one particular church over in Ripple Mead, Virginia, and uh, it was a very, uh, it was a church that uh, the people really just uh, dressed up a lot. And uh, they invited us to this mission conference, and the missions conference was going to start with a, with a dinner. And the church was invited, the missionaries were invited, and it said uh, the dinner was going to be casual. And I knew from that church that that meant that you just didn't have to wear a tie. I mean, you had to have a whole suit on and everything, but you could leave the tie at home. Well, there was one of the missionaries that showed up, and he did not know the church, and he showed up with shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, everybody else with suits on, and he's trying to present his ministry to this church with shorts and t-shirt on. He just wasn't appropriate attire. He didn't know how to act in the where he was at. And, and sometimes we fall into those types of situations where we were invited, we're at the place, but we don't really know how to act appropriately. And that's kind of what we see in this text a little bit, where there's this um, lack of knowing how to behave correctly to the invitation. Now, the context that we're in is this is the Passion Week. Jesus is in the temple area. He had been teaching. He had been talking. And the uh, religious authorities came up to him, and they had questions, questions about um, how did Jesus get his authority. And, of course, Jesus responded by saying, well, where did John get his authority? And all of a sudden, they had no answers. They didn't want to answer because they knew that if he said, well, they got it from God, then he said, well, I would also, he would say that he got his authority from God. So in this, where Jesus is explaining where he has his authority, he goes into these uh, parables. And we've already seen two, and now we're looking at this third one. And in these parables, he's using this uh, everyday imagery to convey a spiritual truth, a spiritual truth that in the last chapter that we saw, they recognized that it was about them, but their hearts are so hardened that they won't repent. And that's pretty incredible to think, that they are understanding the lesson that Jesus is giving, but they would prefer to harden their hearts against God rather than to repent and turn to him. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is a true disciple must accept God's gracious invitation and reject their own way. That's, that's what uh, we're going to be looking at in this text, that um, a true disciple must accept God's gracious invitation and reject their own way. And the first thing that we see in this text is God's gracious invitation. He, he's talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think about kingdom of heaven, we might think of uh, several different kingdoms that the Bible presents. And if you look through scriptures, you'll see that kingdom is referenced several times in different, uh, to mean different things. 
And context always determines what kingdom it's referring to. Uh, for example, in Psalm 47, verse 8, it says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. In this verse, it indicates that God is sovereign over everything, all the nations, all the world, everything that happens in the world, God is sovereignly in control of it. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, uh, we see two aspects uh, of a kingdom here. It says, uh, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That uh, word for domain has this idea of a, of a reign of darkness. So he rescued us from that. He's talking about those who are saved. So those who are unsaved would be in this domain of darkness. While God is sovereign over everything, He's not sovereignly involved with the domain of darkness. There's someone else who's head of that. The God of this world is in charge of that, even though God is sovereign over him. And then it says, uh, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So those who have accepted Christ as their savior, there's a movement that happens from the reign, the dominion, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son, which is a spiritual kingdom in this sense. But then there is um, another kingdom, a kingdom that gets mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, 12 through 16, Daniel chapter 2, 34 through 35, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, a, a kingdom that will be established and will reign forever and, and ever, where someone from the line of David will come and establish David's throne and will sit on that throne and it will be forever. Uh, this is what it's mentioning here in this passage where it's talking about this kingdom of heaven. And it goes in line with how Matthew opens up where it says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's presenting this Davidic king that's coming to Israel that Israel is rejecting. And so the kingdom of heaven can be compared uh, to this king. And this king wants to give a wedding feast for his son. Uh, so uh, what, what does he do? Well, he sends out uh, his slaves to call those who are invited. Uh, can you imagine this? Uh, to go send out invitations to those who have been invited. Now, they're not inviting themselves. Uh, it's a passive there. They're not inviting themselves. They're not the ones initiating the coming to this wedding. Rather, it's the king that is initiating the invitation to come. And in that, they... Uh, it says, verse 3, And they sent out the slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Unwilling uh, shows their desire. They had no desire to value what the king valued. The king valued the son and wanted to throw a party for his son to celebrate, but they don't value the son, and they don't value the king, and therefore they're not going to come. They, they have no desire to come. It shows the volition of their will, which is against the king. Even though the invitation was initiated by the king, here these individuals are rejecting it. They say, no, we don't want it. I don't know if you'd like to highlight in your Bible, but if you do, verse 14, uh, four has an adverb that you should really highlight, and it's again. Again, he sent out other slaves. Can you imagine? I get rejected once, and that's it. <laughs> Don't think you're going to get a second invitation for me. 
but he's been rejected. And he sends out a second time to invite those to come. He's initiating this, and they're rejecting. And not only does he send them out again, but he extends the revelation. He tells them more about the, 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 the party that's going to happen, the celebration. He, he tells them about everything is, is all set. The, the, the meats are, are roasting. Um, there, there's no budget. <laughs> Some people have no budget because they have no money. Uh, this isn't that type of wedding feast. This is no budget because there's unlimited resources. And nothing is being left out. Everything is there. Everything is present. It's all there to celebrate this. And he, he tells them, look, come. It's going to be great. Verse 5 says, but they paid no attention and went their way. Not the way of the king, but they went their way. One to his own farm. Now, I, I can understand, uh, not really, uh, I'm kind of lying there. I can understand some people saying that they really like planting stuff and watering and so forth. And, and some people have very nice gardens. But if a king were to invite you to a celebration, I think the onions can wait a little bit, right? I mean, you can wait a little bit for the potatoes and so forth. I mean, one night is not going to hurt, I don't know, I'm guessing, one night is not going to hurt them not to have any water for you to go and celebrate. But, but they would rather go out to their farm. They don't, they don't value the king. Their desire is for themselves, and therefore they rather go to their farm than to go to the king. Others said they've got business to do. What type of, I don't know, business in general. They're, they're businessmen, and so they've got busy businessmen to do. That's what they're going to do. And then the rest, they seized the slaves and mistreated them. They insulted them. They talked bad about them. And then they killed them. And that, it's amazing to think about this. And, and as we think about this, of God's gracious invitation, I think we can look at a couple things that maybe we can apply. And the first thing is that we have to be careful of our desires. You have to be very careful of your desires. Because one thing that your desires do is that it distorts your view of God. See, uh, they're looking at the king and their, his invitation, and really they're finding the invitation as a, as a hindrance for their own business. They're finding... Uh, they're finding his invitation burdensome. And really, just to be honest, I mean, they're kind of bored with the idea of going and celebrating the, the, the wedding of the son. It's not their wedding. Who wants, who wants to go to the wedding? Why go to the wedding? They've got other things that they want to be doing. So as they look at the king, their view is distorted by their desires. I think it's something that's very applicable to us because if we're not careful about our own desires, it will distort our view of God, who you see. If you live for your desires, you will always be looking at God as somebody who is a genie to fulfill those things for you. And then when he does not fulfill what you want, you'll get angry and say he's a mean God. He doesn't listen to us. He doesn't care for us because you're living off of your desires rather than living for God. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. Uh, let's go over there one, 
very quickly. James chapter uh, 4. And I'll show you from this text what I'm talking about, how our desires have an influence in us. Uh, because the second thing is, not only does it distort our view of God, but it controls our feelings and our behavior. Uh, we have to be careful for our desires because it also controls our feelings and behavior. Verse 1, it says, uh, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures, that's the word for desires, that wage war in your members? You lust, that's desiring something, and you do not have, so you commit murder. Oh, that's a behavior. So a person has this desire, and based on the desire, their behaviors come out. And it says, uh, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel and do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You have to be careful for your desires because out of your desires comes your feelings and comes your behavior. Why do you do what you do? Because you want what you want. And because you want what you want, you will do what you will do. Here they do not want the king. They have no use for the king nor his son. So they'd rather go farming, go do business. They'd rather mistreat his slaves than to go. Now, that's a very gracious invitation. You'd have to admit. Not to just be invited once, but to be invited twice. Instead of living for our desires, there's a better way to live, and that's being focused on God. Focused on God. Uh, what do we see from this passage that reveals attributes of God, of who God is? Well, there's sovereignty. He's a sovereign God. We have to put our focus on God, and what we see here is that God is sovereign. Uh, he's a king. He has slaves, and he tells them, go, and they go. He, and he tells them to go again, and they go again. They obey him. He's sovereignly in control, but not just sovereign. And, and this is something very important. Sovereignty is, a, is an important attribute of God, but it's not the only one. And if you just focus on that one, you fail to see who God is. And God in his perfection is not just one attribute. He's not just one thing. He's equal in all his attributes. He's perfectly equal in all his attributes. And what you see also in this text is not just sovereignty, but he's uh, benevolent. There are some individuals that are leaders, and they are, um, they, they are sovereign, but they're not benevolent. They'll, they'll kill people. They'll torture people. But no, he's, he's benevolent. He invites them into a wedding. Do they deserve to go there? No. But he invites them to come and celebrate. His son is having this feast, this wedding celebration. Come! He's got everything prepared for them. That's a benevolent God. Not only is he benevolent, but he's gracious. He's gracious. Uh, verse 4, again? He, he's got rejected once, but he sends more slaves to go and tell them that there's this invitation, do they accept it? No, they don't value him. But he still graciously sends the invitation to them. Now, when we look at God and we contemplate God, it's important to meditate on his attributes. 
to think about all of them. Here in this text, we've just seen these. But as you read through Scripture, the Scriptures are revelation of God, and you're supposed to look for God, who He is, His attributes. You meditate on those things. It changes your perspective. No longer do you live for your desires, but you start focusing on God and living for Him. You meditate on His attributes. Now, not only do we see this um, God's gracious invitation, but we also see God's righteous anger. God's righteous anger. Uh, verse 7, it speaks of this anger. They, they did not accept, so what does he do? The king is enraged. He sends his armies. He destroys those murderers and sets the city on fire. This is another attribute that must be remembered. God is gracious. God is benevolent. But there is a certain limit where at a point he will judge. At a certain point, he will judge and punish those who have rejected him. Here there's these individuals, and they have not valued him. What else is going to happen to them? What else can be done? Not only has the invitation been given, but they tell him what else. There's, there's all this stuff to eat there. But still, they value other things. As we meditate on God's attributes, and we meditate on his benevolence, meditate on his sovereignty, meditate on his graciousness, we should also meditate on the fact that he is a just judge who will punish those who reject him. And that should motivate us who know him to share the gospel with other people. Because there will be a day where there will be a judgment. Now, not only does he have God's righteous anger, but we also see God's gracious inclusion. Verses 8 and 10. Uh, it says there, Then he said to his slaves, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many, as many, that's what it says, as many, find, invite them to the wedding feast. As many, give the invitation to all, tell them to come. But maybe the table is not big enough. The table is sufficiently big enough. Maybe they will run out of food. Not going to run out of food. Invite them all to come. Come! Now, in this gracious inclusion, he's given an imperative. It's not a suggestion. You might want to go if it's convenient for you, if it's not too hot, if it's not raining. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's an imperative to go. Go out. And, and you're going to go out everywhere. Two things we see here in this gracious inclusion is that we see a God-honoring obedience. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, humanly speaking, I see the first two sets of slaves go out and they get murdered. I would say, hey, how about we kind of rethink this? Maybe we could put it on Facebook, you know, or maybe tweet about this wedding feast. And that way I can stay over here safe with the king and uh, not get killed with those other people, you know. Maybe it'd be better if we just uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, put out a commercial on, on TV or something. And that way, we won't get hurt. They didn't put excuses. They didn't say, this doesn't work. Don't you remember those other guys? They went out there, and it just doesn't work. People have changed. No, they don't do that. Because the command is to go... And since they're slaves of the king, they obey. That's what they do. They don't try to give him counsel. They don't try to say, hey, I got a better idea. 
they obey the king and they go out. Not only is there a God-honoring obedience, but because of this obedience, there's a God-honoring celebration. That's something that's very important to recognize is that obedience brings a celebration. Many times we try to live this life thinking, I'm not going to obey. I've got a better plan. I've got a better idea. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, I'm going to celebrate. You can't. The celebration comes through obedience. The celebration only comes through obedience. When one is rejoicing, and that's what they're doing. They're, They're there and they're eating. They're all gathered. Both the good and the evil, they're all together at, uh, at this uh, dining hall. And lo and behold, there's enough room to hold them all. Now, we see one last point here, and that's God's righteous standard. And we see that in verses 11 through 14, where the king comes looking at all those who are gathered together and they're they're there, they're eating, and he's seeing them, and then all of a sudden he finds one, this one person, and, and as he came in, they were passing out clothing, and he decided to reject that clothing and say, I would prefer to come in with my own clothes. I think these are very nice clothes. And so in he went. And they were, the king would have had garments ready for them, for all these people to come in to be able to dress, but he has rejected them, and he says, no, I will come with my own clothes. The king comes up to him and says, friend, why are you dressed this way? And what does he answer? He's got a word to say, right? He's got nothing to say because the opportunity was to put on the garments of the king, but he decided to reject them. He didn't want them. He thought it was sufficient for what he had. It was good enough. Unfortunately, we see many times that people want to accept God, but on their own terms. They want to live for God, but on their own terms, their own way. That's how they want to live, their own way. They got it better than what God can imagine. And so, instead of yielding and accepting Christ's righteousness, they try to live for themselves. There's something very interesting here is that those who outwardly reject And those who seem to accept, but accept on their own terms, end up having the same consequence. They they end up getting this judgment. There's this judgment of being tied hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness. There's judgment. It's not like it's less judgment if you come willingly, but with your own righteousness. No. There's still a judgment for those who want to do it their way who want to reject God and say, no, I'll get there on my own strength. Many are called, as it says in verse 14, but few are chosen. And the irony of this is that he's speaking to the elect nation who has been rejecting him. Here we see that a true disciple must accept God's gracious invitation and reject their own way. That's what it's about. That's what a true disciple looks like. Well, I want to be something a little bit less than a true disciple. I don't want to be, you know, totally committed. I want to kind of commit a little bit. There isn't that. There's no showing up there with your own righteousness. There is no giving 
50% and 50% for myself. It's a total surrender to God's invitation and surrendering your way. Let's pray. Father, there might be some here who have been trying to live their way. Father, they have tried to pick a career, tried to do all types of stuff, but it's just been through their own strength and they haven't surrendered their will and they haven't accepted your invitation. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has never accepted Christ as their Savior, that today will be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for other of us who are here that we won't live for our desires, but we will meditate constantly, focus on your attributes and who you are, and that it will motivate us to be obedient, to tell a lost world that judgment is coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand?